0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Ultimately, you am going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day, just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome back. I'm Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer, and we're here for another episode of 1% Better. Uh, we told you we might not be back for a little while <laughs> the last time we did one of these, but, uh, you know, things change. So uh, there has been a lot going on on the Colts beat in recent days. Uh, some of it chatter, some of it actual news, uh, and so we just thought it was appropriate to come on and and kind of update you and and give our thoughts on on what's been happening so it has been busy zach right i mean uh, you know there's always there's always movement and there's always things happening in and you know in january before a team that made the playoffs and really wasn't going to have any huge shakeup. we have already had what <laughs> um a potential Hall of Fame quarterback retire. We've had uh, the offensive coordinator take the Philadelphia Eagles job, uh, therefore a new offensive coordinator. And then we've got the Colts being rumored to, and likely, uh, chasing Matt Stafford, who's a franchise quarterback for the Detroit Lions. So other than that, nothing going on. <laughs> so I've been just as busy
2: the last two weeks, three weeks, than I have at any point during the regular season. Crazy! It's, just, it's, it's If not more busy, because... We've got a couple guys that are going to maybe go in the Hall of Fame next week as well. Um, It has been busy, and with this Matthew Stafford situation, it's not going to quiet down until he gets traded to whatever team he ends up going to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's start with a couple quick updates. So Nick Sirianni off to the Eagles. You know that, the Colts' offensive coordinator. Uh, So that's a big move, Okay, not just for him, but certainly for the Colts, because I think that's a loss. There's a reason he was... Uh, you know Frank Reich's first phone call when he got this job and yeah. he had always intended to have Nick be at his side when he got a head coaching job so so clearly there was there was a lot of benefit to having Nick on the staff so so I don't want to gloss over that I think that's important and we can say whatever we want about his preparedness for the Eagles job I have no idea how he's going to do it. F- let me ask you about that. Yep. Yeah.
2: Were you surprised
1: when uh, Sirianni
2: not only got the
1: interview but got the job yeah i was and yeah i was too i'll tell you why it's it's not that i don't think he'll be a good head coach um i i think he has a real way of reaching players and and we've heard that from from colts players you know they they believe in nick he he really has a way with them and and is a great teacher from everything we've been told the the problem is, or not the problem, the question, I guess, is how does that translate to being a head coach? I have no idea. <laughs> and so I don't know if the Eagles do either, but but he definitely, I think, will will have those guys' attention. He he definitely has that ability, and he's a good teacher and all of those things. But, you know, those are not necessarily the chief determinants of, of being a good head coach. But, but that being said, look, whatever. Uh, I think he had... He had Frank Reich vouching for him, which is massive. Okay, it's massive er in Philadelphia. Yes, let me tell you, and you probably have realized this too. So I told you about this, but for the listeners' sake, I've done a few Philly media interviews here in the last few days. (laughs) Look, Frank Reich is like the messiah in Philadelphia. He's like like Rocky. (laughs) He's he like, is. you know, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, I, you
2: could say that, that they couldn't hire Frank Reich to be their head coach, so they went out and hired his his right-hand man. I mean,
1: yeah. It, it it's amazing. I, I did a I did a show on uh, WI WIP out of Philly uh yesterday, I think, and which is, you know, I think the flagship station there, I believe, and they, <laughs> I think half our conversation was about Frank Reich. I was like, guys, I thought you called me about Nick Sirianni. So uh, it it was interesting. It it was really, really interesting. They said there's no question. If he were a free agent, he'd be here now. He'd be the coach. There's no question about it. Um, Please tell him we miss him. It it was like a love fest. I was like, well, you know, it's funny because I don't know that Colts fans love him the way you guys do right now. I know. I know. (laughs) So they were surprised to hear that. But anyhow. To your question, I was a little surprised because, especially because, I mean, he beat out some pretty good candidates. I mean, they were looking at, they had kind of their choice. I mean, they're the Philadelphia Eagles. I know they got issues, but yeah, you know, they're a big time franchise, big market. I mean, Jobs going to pay big money. I mean, that's I was a little surprised. You know, and with so, that
2: is going to come big expectations, no question. And and Nick, I mean, Nick was on vacation. Nick was done. He didn't have any other interviews for head coaching jobs. He was, he was going to take some time and then get on to the 2021 season here with the Colts. And this has been a whirlwind for him. And, and we both really like Nick. He was great to work with. But Philadelphia is not Indianapolis. It is not the same medium market. And, and he's, he's going to a team with a broken quarterback. For anybody out there that watched Carson Wentz this year, I mean, it seems like he's going to be back in Philly. They got rid of Doug Peterson. They brought in Sirianni essentially to save Carson Wentz. The $123 million quarterback they have, that's going to be tough, and that's how he's going to be judged out there. And the amount of jobs that come with being a head coach that are not, that don't come with being an offensive coordinator, like the extra work that head coaches have to do, mm-hmm. the extra stuff they have to deal with. I've heard from a lot of them. A lot of them just that aren't interested. You know, Chuck Pagano years ago said, you know, the extra stuff you have to do, it just wore on me. Some guys are built for it. And I think we see that on a weekly basis from Frank Reich. He just has that in him. And I've never really questioned that since he took over, but even Chuck admitted he didn't like the extra stuff. Maybe Nick does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know, but I do know that it's not going to be like he was sliding into the head coaching job in Indianapolis. It's going to be a different animal in Philadelphia and they're going to be, you know, maybe the grace period lasts a year or two, but that's pretty, I mean, maybe not. And then the expectations are going to be high there. So, He's going to have to get some some talent on that offense to help Wentz, and he did bring Jonathan Gannon along to run his defense. We, you know, no Gannon has done a really good job in some aspects with the Colts. You know, Kenny Moore called him one of his favorite coaches ever. He did a wonderful job this year with Xavier Rhodes. You can question why he couldn't help Rocky Sin more. Rocky Sin hasn't really improved that much since he became a pro, um, but Gannon was. Absolutely viewed as one of the rising stars in the Colts coaching staff. So he's gone. That's a big loss for the Colts as well But uh, believe me, this is a big loss for the Colts and and Sirianni, you know, Reich believed he was a stud and If there was a 1a and 1b with the offense in terms of who's running it, you know, Reich gets all the credit and all the blame because he's the one calling the plays Sirianni was in lockstep with him on a lot of that so it's a big hole to fill and they have filled it with Marcus Brady who's got an interesting backstory you wrote about and he's a really sharp guy, and and Frank did not hesitate with this one. It was always going to be Marcus Brady from the minute Sirianni left.
1: Yeah, and I I like that because I think a couple things. Number one, it sends a message to your players, like you know what, this is your guy. This I am behind him hundred uh, percent. You don't have you also don't have that acclamation period that you'll that you would have to have otherwise. Granted, it's the same offense because Frank's not going anywhere. So so that's that's a big factor here, but. Uh, But changing offensive coordinators is big because normally it's big, you know, because you're changing styles and you're changing teaching methods and you're changing, you know, just, you know, the terminology that you hear from a guy, all those things. But here it's all going to be the same. It's all in-house. And if you have a viable in-house candidate, you know, who you think makes your team as good or or better then that's the way to go, I think, you know, in these situations. Because uh, when you bring someone in from the outside, there is that acclimation period. And that is, that's such something you have to deal with. You know? So anyway, I think kudos to everybody involved for for seeing this being the right move. Um, number one, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, Marcus Brady's not someone we talk to a lot. I mean, you've probably talked to him a little more than me over the years. But, um, but, but he, you know, as a quarterback's coach, it's kind of a, it's kind of a nondescript role. You know, what do you really do? <laughs> you know, I mean, from the outside looking in, people probably wonder that. But but it's interesting. I thought he made a great point yesterday, and, and this has been confirmed other places. Quarterbacks coaches are really ideal for future coordinators. There's no question about it. And I thought his point was really excellent on this because what he said is you have to understand, because the quarterbacks also have to understand the entire game plan. You have to know the protections, the running game, the passing game. What are the routes? You got to know everything. The offensive line coach doesn't need to know what routes the receivers are running. You know what I mean? Right. Like he knows and he you understands. You don't see a lot of offensive line coaches promoted to OC. You just don't, you don't see it. You don't, and it's interesting because I think that's I think that's telling, and there's no question about it. I think so. The quarterbacks coach, in in terms of offensive position coaches, no one has more responsibility for understanding the whole picture than that guy in terms of position coaches. There's no question about it. So uh, I think in that respect, this makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing I learned was just he's just really got a knack for this. And and I love the story that Scott Milanovic, who is a name you should get to know, because – Right, Scott Milanovic is, well was, the head coach of the Edmonton franchise in the CFL. He's a former Jaguars uh, assistant coach. He's been around for years. Anyway, he's going to be joining Frank's staff here in a little bit, I think as a quarterback's coach. Correct. But he was he was Marcus's coach, or was his, his offensive coordinator when Marcus was a player in the CFL. They needed a receivers coach, and he told the head coach, Mark Tressman, who you may know from the Chicago Bears— this is back with the Montreal franchise. He told them, "Look, I think Marcus would be perfect." <laughs> of course, Marcus was like, "What are you talking about? I'm still playing." <laughs> so, right. uh, but he really saw the bigger picture, and I think this is a really this is a credit to him having the maturity to say, "You know what? This might be a good move for me." And he took the job. They boldly gave him the job. He took it, and or offered the job, then he took it, and he ended up being a great addition. They won the championship two years in a row, obviously because of him. And so anyway, my point is he, he's he been a natural from day one, Marcus Brady. And, and, I, and the last thing I'll say on this point is I'm interested to see what, if anything, he brings with him in terms of offensive concepts that he used in Canada because it's very, very different. And that's a good thing. I think different yeah. concepts, concepts are good. He coached up there for like 10 years. So – to to think that he won't have, you know, some uh, ideas that he can present to Frank because now he's in a position to do that. To to think that he won't have some some ideas to present and maybe add to the playbook. Um, I don't think that's realistic. I think he will absolutely have some. So that's a good point.
2: And, and what's the one thing that Frank is all about, and he has been since the day he took the job? It's collaboration, and yeah. we know that because it goes back to Doug Peterson and Philly, and that's how they ran things. And that's how Phil, that's how, excuse me, not Phil, the former quarterback, that's how Frank runs things here. And I think this might be a good thing because Sirianni was so on the same page with Frank. Brady might bring in some different ideas, like you said, ideas that spawned from his time in the CFL. And another element to this is, is Brady is not a guy that has an NFL background that was just a guy who started with a really good job in the NFL. I mean, the fact that he has climbed from the CFL, 16 years in Canada as a player and a coach, every promotion he's gotten, he's earned because he's a really good coach. I mean, Frank got a call in your story, um, and it basically said, if I was was hiring a staff right now, I'd hire him as my QB coach right now. I mean, this is his reputation coming into the Colts, and he's climbed very, very swiftly. Assistant QB coach in year one, QB coach for two years, OC in fourth year. I mean, that's significant and the fact that frank did not hesitate with this hire i mean as soon as sirianni was was out i got word that it was going to be brady like within 10 minutes that means frank obviously had all played this out in his head he knew he wanted this guy there was no hesitation there and the third thing that jumps out to me marcus brady is very very technical and i learn a lot every time we talk to him i remember going back in 18 talking about andrew luck coming back from his shoulder and brady had talked about the mechanics of getting him to throw more with his feet than with his arms. And I know it sounds crazy, but look at at Luck's accuracy and how much it improved late in that 18th season. And this is the little stuff that makes a difference. And Tom House, the QB guru who's worked with everybody, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, he says the same kind of thing. So Brady knows the position exceptionally well. And one other element to this is, look, no one knows Jacob Eason more than, than Marcus Brady. No one in the building has worked with him more closely. Eason's not going to be the starter in 2021. Let's just put that fire out right now. But if he is going to be the starter down the line, Marcus Brady is going to know his skill set, and he's going to know what they can expect from him more than anybody else. So remember that. He was the guy that would stay late for throwing sessions this year, extra film sessions. I mean, from what I've heard, Rivers isn't really a guy that can tutor Jacob Eason a lot, in a situation like last year, because Rivers is getting ready for the games, right? That's his job. Easton spent more time with with Jacoby Brissett, the backup, and then he spent a lot of time with Marcus Brady. So keep that in mind down the line. But job number one for Marcus Brady is going to be <laughs> whoever the heck the quarterback is, figure out how they can tailor the offense to that person's skill set. Because there's a lot of options out there. And it starts for me with, with Stafford and Detroit. It's not an easy one because you're going to have to give up a lot to go get him. But for me, I feel like it's Stafford and then everybody else right now. What do you think?
1: Yeah, great segue. I, I think that I agree with that. Um, look, Deshaun Watson, you guys can have fun with that on social media, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that's in the cards. Let's talk about what's realistic. and, and what well, What's we,
2: realistic? Aaron Rodgers, obviously.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Forget well, Watson you know, for a second. We've had a running joke on a text chain here about about you know how many quarterbacks the Colts are going to sign and who's going to start. You know, is it going to be Rodgers or is it going to be Watson and who's going to be the backup? Is <laughs> and it Dak Prescott can be your third down guy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a big guy; he can handle the sneaks. I think. Yeah, so he can take the Jacoby role. Uh, this could be fun. So anyway, uh, back here in reality, though, uh, yeah, I think Stafford is the number one target. He should be, and now. Let's, let's talk about a couple of really important aspects of this. So, first of all, if you've been under a rock for the past week, the story is as follows. Uh, the Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford, he's been their, their quarterback since 2009. Uh, they have decided to part ways, and they have given him the liberty to seek a trade, or they'll take calls from interested teams, what have you. So, So, he's on the move. He put his house up for sale apparently this week. So it's happening. Okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, my sleuth reporting skills, you know, tell me that it's happening. So (laughs)
2: Kelly Stafford posted on Instagram basically a farewell to Detroit. So it sounds like they're ready to move on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So are they ready to move? You know, uh, 300 miles down I 65. I mean, I've made the drive. It's not long. (laughs) So. Look, this this is in all seriousness though. I think this is the move. This is the move for the Colts. Now, here's the reality though, as I was about to say, is they are not the only team involved here, okay? There are a lot of other teams who could make the same case. You know, if you are, you know, I don't know that he wants to go there, but let me, do you not think Bill Belichick is watching? Do you not think uh, a host of other teams are paying attention to this and to see how it plays out? The San Francisco 49ers are rumored yeah. to be interested. So there are other teams, and you know some of them are in position to draft a quarterback, and some of them aren't. So if you're not like the Colts, this really appeals to you. Um, here's what I think: uh, two things. Number one, the question going to be the first question is going to be who all is interested, and then where do they? As a result of that, where does the trade market? Uh, fall in terms of the compensation and that is going to be the critical question you know Chris Ballard has made one really big trade already that we saw last year right well he's made a couple but in terms of players he made the trade last year for DeForest Bucks we gave up that first round pick this is going to take more I think and it's going to take a commitment from Frank excuse me from Chris Ballard that he's never really had to make Uh, this is not like the Jets trade in two thousand. 18 where you were trading down and you were acquiring picks, he's gonna have to give up really valuable picks, which for him is like parting with his kids, you know. So loves that he loves them picks. Right. So how do you think that thought process will go for Chris? Because you and I know how he is, and it would be one thing if he sucked at drafting drafting, but he doesn't. Like they're really, really good. So I get it. What do you think's going on in his head when he evaluates this?
2: yeah this is fascinating because we can from this end we can tell you all the reasons why it makes sense and i think everybody out there would agree right the, the colts they can fit him in with the money it, it doesn't scare them away um he's an experienced quarterback they could come in and start right away there would be no questions about that um i think Stafford wants to play for a team that's ready to go i think the colts are ready to go you you gotta love jonathan taylor and michael Pittman in this offensive line the defense has some star power as well it fits in so many ways. It fits in every way. This is not Philip Rivers from a year ago. Stafford does not get to pick. And although it sounds like ownership in Detroit, they love the guy, and they and they don't want to send him to a place he doesn't want to go, at the end of the day, if you're the Detroit Lions, you're going to take the best offer available. And I think you know Chris, and I know Chris, and from what we learned over the last four years with him is he's very likely going to draw a line in the sand and say, this is what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to go this far and we know that he's walked away from free agents before good free agents because he wasn't willing to spend X amount of dollars this isn't the same thing because this is draft capital very likely right or maybe a player probably just draft capital and where is his line gonna be because there's a couple things at, at play here because San Francisco has a backup plan they have Jimmy Garoppolo under contract maybe they don't love that but they still have a backup plan I don't like New England for Stafford because who's on the staff now? Matt Patricia. It doesn't right. sound like anybody in Detroit like Matt Patricia. That's I what I was thinking I wouldn't think he'd want to go there. But again, Matthew Stafford's not picking his destination. If he was, I think it'd be a lot easier. Now Indianapolis, how bold does Ballard want to be? And does he want to sort of remove his, you know, change his style, right? Like – he was bold, but he only gave up one first-round pick for Buckner. And if you look at the comparable trades over the years, Chris Jones, etc., teams gave up more to get those kind of guys. And, and Ballard's proud of that. Now, this is different. Do you change that approach because it's a quarterback? And here's the point I want to make. I hate plan B right now for the Colts. I hate it. There is no good plan B for me. <laughs> what is it, even? <laughs> That's it's the problem. horrendous. Who are the free agent quarterbacks out there right now? Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston. Uh, I exactly. mean, who am I missing?
1: <laughs> it doesn't
2: matter. <laughs> I, I mean, they're, they're not good. Like, you can't... Yeah. I mean, is Nick Foles a possibility if he gets cut in Chicago? Like, we know there's a connection there. Right. And maybe that's Jacoby Brissett. I think the Colts have seen enough of Jacoby to know he's not the long-term solution there. It's Stafford or bust for me. And that's where you get dangerous because that's when you start to give up more than he's worth. So that's going to be the interesting part of this negotiation, but... Look, I mean, this roster is too good. These are Chris's words after the season. I think we're good enough to win the Super Bowl this year, and I think we're going to be good enough down the line to compete for a Super Bowl. You saw how good Kansas City looked on Sunday. Now, imagine Stafford on the Colts roster for that playoff game in Buffalo. Don't you think he drives them down the field and at least gets them in position for a field goal? I think he does. I think he does. So I think it's time to be bold, and I think it's time to maybe be a little uncharacteristic for Chris Ballard and and put – Put a lot on the table because you need to go get this guy. And yeah, it might hurt you in a couple other spots. You might not be able to get a left tackle in the first round because you don't have that pick. But you don't have a plan B that, that is even halfway decent. That's where I'm at with it.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night.
1: I think we're going to learn a lot about where Chris Ballard and Jim Mercy, to some extent, where they view this or how they view this team, based on how they play this out. And so, what I mean by that is, I think how bold they're they're willing to be tells yeah. us how where they think they are. Yeah, it tells us how close they think they are. You know, because if you're willing to put it all out there and risk it all, and for Matthew Stafford which I don't necessarily have a problem with. I'm just saying, if you're willing to do that, that says, shit, we want to be in the Super Bowl and we think we got a shot. And I don't think they're crazy if they make that determination. Look, I don't know that they're going to get there if they sign Matthew Stafford. I have no idea. But do I do I think they have a shot? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, the AFC's tough, man. Okay, look, I'm not saying anybody's going to Kansas City and winning in January. I don't know. All I'm saying is you at least give yourself a chance. You put yourself in the conversation because they're not—they're not really in the conversation right now, you know. And they're that's not the problem. quite there. They right, weren't quite there. You're not and in I think the conversation. The There's position, a clear de- delineation, I think. Yeah, and in the one position that
2: changes everything, we know that is—is is this. And and look, even Ballard said a couple of weeks ago, like you're drafting twenty-first, can you get the guy at quarterback? And he said probably not. That doesn't mean he can't draft up and go get one. But it seems like from everything we've heard. And everyone I've talked to, and probably the same for you, this is not a team that's looking to add a rookie quarterback to step in right away. They don't think Jason Beeson's going to be ready next year. I don't see a scenario where they draft a quarterback in round one or two and he starts in week one. Anything's possible. I get it. This seems like a tailor-made situation for a veteran quarterback. Veteran quarterbacks like Matthew Stafford do not come available very often. They just don't. And here he is but you're going to have to go get them and you're going to have to give up quite a bit to get them. What do you think the market will be in terms of what the compensation is? You wrote about some comparable deals over the years. Carson Palmer comes to mind. You start with a one, right? And then you have to add something.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to take a one and then something else. And so the question is, what is that something else? Now, I think the history lesson was really interesting. There's a wide range and I, and I didn't go through like, you know, deals that you know took like fourth rounders i, I went for like the who, what were the blockbuster quarterback deals and there weren't like a ton of them but i found you know five or six and the, there's a couple of them that caught my eye i'll tell you one that was really interesting and i think this is a terrible deal for for one team the Bears. but <laughs> the 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 jay, the jay cutler deal in 2009 Awful for the Bears. I couldn't beers. believe okay. the compensation they got. I I oh my God. I, I had forgotten how bad this was. I couldn't believe it. I, I had to read it three times and remember. Oh my God, that did happen. So Denver got, let's see here, they got a first round and a third round pick in 2010. And, oh, excuse me, a 2009 first and third and a 2010 first. So two first and a third for Jay freaking Cutler who by the way led the NFL in interceptions in his first season in Chicago so money well spent Chicago Uh, but that's that's terrible that's a terrible deal and I don't think Chris Ballard would ever do that so I don't think he's given up two firsts right now the other deal that's interesting and this I do potentially uh, this was Carson Palmer to the Raiders and of course you know the Raiders in 2011, right? I mean, right. <laughs> if there was ever a sucker, right? So, the Raiders gave up uh, a first and a second uh, for uh, Carson Palmer. Now, this is interesting because the Bengals had just drafted uh, their their new quarterback, who was—what uh, is wrong with me today? Um, <laughs> uh, they had just drafted a quarterback in, what was that, 2011, right? So— Uh, They didn't – there wasn't any, like, overwhelming need for them. They didn't need him at all. In fact, Carson Palmer was in a standoff with the Bengals. Andy Dalton, right. And so Carson Palmer was in a standoff with the Bengals. Uh, I I don't know what that does in terms of comparing leverage to that situation versus this one. Uh, But I actually think that – actually, this bodes well for Detroit in this particular instance because here's a quarterback who wasn't in their plans, and they still got a first and a second for him. So – um, I don't know what what other suitors were out there. But anyway, that's an interesting one. And then the other one I think it's interesting, very, very different circumstances. But you had the Sam Bradford trade in 2016. On this one, uh, the the Eagles had, you know, they had drafted Carson Wentz. <laughs> it all comes full circle in this conversation. Uh, they had drafted Carson Wentz and he had taken the job, so uh, Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt in the preseason in Minnesota. They think they have a, a really good team that can contend that year in Minnesota, so they they decide they have to go get a quarterback. So they're desperate. Yeah. And the the Eagles, out of that deal, got a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick for Sam freaking Bradford. So, But again, really desperate situation. It happened I think two weeks before the season. So the circumstances are a little different. So here, we're in January, uh, we're a long way off, there's no real pressure right now where the Lions have to make this deal this minute, but uh, but anyway, that you, you ask for, you know, if you're asking for some idea of what it will take, again, it's pretty clear it's going to be a first round pick and then what else? The question is, what is the what else in Chris Ballard's mind and, and how far is he willing to go? I... You know, one other thought I have just before we move forward a little bit is the other issue at play for the Colts is, okay, parting with your picks is hard just in and of itself, and, and it's really hard when you when you feel like you know, you're really good at drafting, right? But there's another sort of issue here that's related, and it's this. This team is going to be getting very expensive pretty soon. And one of the things they're going to have to do, and you're going to see this this year, one of the things they're going to have to do is make hard choices in free agency. They're going to part with some guys. Yep. And when you do that, you have to replenish your roster, and you got to do that with your draft picks, because those are the guys you can afford because they're on those deals. Exactly. And that's what they've done so well the last couple years. Right. Why is Malik Hooker expendable? Because you have two great safeties you drafted in the past two years, you know, and so. It all—it's how it all works together. I mean, Anthony Walker. Why is he probably going to go? Because Bobby Oki Riki's here, you know. Yep. And so they've done a great job of that. But when you start forking over those picks in deals, even a great deal for a quarterback, even if it works, I'm just saying, you know, it—it it sort of restricts your ability to keep doing that. So, so that is going to be this struggle for Chris Ballard. And I'm just telling you—you you and I both know him well enough to know. He is going to toss and turn over this thing. you know. If this gets real, he is going to toss and turn at night over this deal. There's no question about it. He, he will fight
2: acting out of desperation because he doesn't yeah. want to do that. That's against everything, every core belief he has in how you build a team. But there's also this uh, hovering idea that this team could contend with the right guy. And this guy checks every box, so it's like, you know, we've seen him be really aggressive before. That's why everyone's like, oh, he won't do it. He won't trade up for a quarterback. I'm like, dude, if he thinks it's the right guy, he'll be as aggressive as anybody out there. He was on the staff that scouted Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Ballard was at the Kids games, the kids' games, and he very much had a say in them, you know, wanting to go get this kid. And remember they traded up. And he knows that. And he knows the team that Kansas City had with Alex Smith and he knows the team Kansas City became. So he's not going to be afraid to go be really aggressive if he feels it's the right opportunity. The question is, is going to be, where does he draw the line? And is he willing to change that approach because of this position? He said on day one, it's not going to be about the quarterback. Well, it is. It is about the quarterback. And it's going to be about the quarterback. And this is the situation you find yourself in right now because of what happened on August 24th, 2019. For the first time in 20 years, the Colts didn't have a long-term plan at quarterback. And Phillip Rivers was great, but he was a band aid. And he's gone. And you do not have a starter right now for week one. You got to figure it out. And I don't know if the other teams that will be in the Stafford sweepstakes will have the impetus to go get him like the Colts will. Uh, Denver has Drew Locke. I don't know what his long term future is there, but I'm just throwing teams out there. The Colts are in the worst spot of any of these teams. I don't think, I don't know if New Orleans is going to be in play. I don't know if they can fit him in. They have a much more dicey salary cap situation in the Colts. I think maybe Winston comes back there, but I don't know. Um, the Colts need an answer. Other teams are looking for an answer. The Colts need an answer, and I think Ballard, I think he knows that because if you put out an average quarterback next year who's not as good as Rivers, it, 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 I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a wasted season. and I don't know if they can swallow that again.
1: Yeah, I don't think that really is in anybody's interest. Yeah. You know, to – to basically stand in place. You're running on a treadmill when you do that. Exactly. You know? and, and I just don't think it's in anybody's best interest. Including Chris Ballard's, Because, it, it, look, I think, I think they've done a great job here. I've not been shy about saying that. Look, I mean, nobody's putting anybody in the Hall of Fame. But all I'm saying is I think given everything, considering everything that's happened, it's really hard to objectively be upset about the way Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have, have performed, right? That being said, they're not stupid. Okay. This is gonna be year four for for Frank Reich coming up. It's gonna be uh year four year five, excuse me, for Chris Ballard. I mean yeah. five years in the NFL is a freaking lifetime. Okay. Right. And so they know, you know, you're talking about one win for Ballard and or excuse me, one playoff win for Ballard in five in excuse me, in four seasons. So Granted, considering the context, no one's upset about that. I get it. All I'm saying is, you know, ten years from now, when we look back at his ledger, that's going to be what it is. And so he knows that, and he knows that history will judge you by in black and white. And how are you going to make the black and white, which is wins and losses? How are you going to make that better? You got to get better at quarterback. So, so I, I do think yes. And the more I think about it, look, there's no question. Chris Ballard has been very hesitant to do very aggressive things in terms of you know parting with his draft picks however i think because i think that's because that was the prudent thing to do yeah this is an instance where the prudent thing might be to say let's part with the draft picks because it's worth it i mean at the end of the day the fans who get upset about about them not signing free agent x or y or z let's be honest Most of those guys didn't pan out. Okay, let's just be honest. Yeah, and they got overpaid. Yeah. So, I think it's easy to be upset about those deals that didn't get done. But I don't know that this team really lost out. And I don't think that they feel that way. This might be different. I think this is different.
2: And I did the numbers. Um, This week I wrote a story about every quarterback taken in the first round in the last 10 years. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying the Colts would have taken one. We'll see what happens. But... Look, you're batting 40% at best, and that's, that's average to above-average starter. There's right. only, of the 34 taken, there's only nine that were like legit home runs. So there's no mm. guarantee you hit on a first-round pick. And I say that in full knowledge of the fact that Frank Reich knows the position as well as anybody, that, that Ballard has done a really good job. Look, they have a really good personnel staff. They probably would hit on a first-round pick, whatever the position. But if you go get Stafford, it's not going to be a miss. He's going to he's going to fix the problem. He's going to be able to start. He's going to do well here. I'm very confident in it. I don't think there's very much chance that it doesn't work out. And you could miss on a first round pick. You know, so you got to take that into account. And then and then separately, if you're not going to go get a great quarterback to try and take a swing at this, then why did you go get Buckner last year? Like why did you make that aggressive move, right? Sure. To get yourself in a position to have a shot. And like you said, one playoff win in four years. You had a colossal retirement in the middle of it that changed everything, and I get that, and context is important. I mean, Bill Pullian didn't win a playoff game here until his fifth year, Peyton's mm. fourth or fifth year, um, and then they won a lot of them. And they're building it the right way in Indianapolis. But if you're not going to be aggressive in certain situations, then I think you have to change your thinking a little bit when it comes to quarterback. Um then what are you doing? And then also, um, like, this is what it's about. Like this, you know. And I talked to Chris after they traded Buckner last year, and he's like, "Look, we've been very prudent with our signings and with our deals the last couple of years. For a moment like this, they've set themselves up to be in a position where they can be really aggressive and not just trade for Buckner, but get him, give him an eighty-four million dollar deal. Look at the, the way they've handled the salary cap. I mean, name a bad contract on this roster." I mean maybe Jack Doyle but like I'm not going to call that a bad contract. <laughs>
1: right. There's exactly. nobody
2: that's overpaid on this team. And they're in a really good situation, the third most salary cap space in the league, I believe, heading into this year. We, salary cap might change a little bit, but the bottom line is they've got the money, they've got the room, and you already paid your quarterback's 40 plus million dollars last year. You paid your backup 20 million. Money's not going to be an issue. If you want to be aggressive and go get this guy and fit him in um, you can do that. You've got the money to address the needs in a couple other areas if you need to. What I'm saying, if you give up the draft capital, you're going to have money to go after some guys that might fill the needs that you weren't able to address in the draft. Remember, you got 16 million basically just handed to you when Anthony Costanza retired. I understand that creates a huge void at left tackle and that needs to be addressed. But, you know, this is a situation where the Colts have been very prudent over the years. And if they need to be aggressive to solve the biggest issue on the team, it, it's time to do it, so that's where I'm at with it.
1: Yeah, I I pretty much agree with all that. So it's going to be fascinating. <laughs> and, it is, yeah. No, it's uh, not know, a done deal I, by any means. No, and you know, there's there's so many other dominoes that have to fall. The Senior Bowl is underway. The workouts are going on this week. Didn't go this year because you know, just it's a little dicey on access and COVID and so forth. But you know, we'll be getting updates from down there. Uh, you know that how those things play out, how the quarterbacks fall in the draft order, the pecking order, in, in terms of the scouting, that will have an impact on the quarterback picture as well. So, yeah, I think you know there's fallout there, right? You know what does what do the Jets do, right? And what happens with their quarterback situation? All these little there's all these little subplots, you know, because because obviously right. Stafford is not the only option, and and you have to consider other options too, certainly. So, but anyway, my point is there's it's a big picture and there are a lot of pieces to fall into place you know and there's there's all these other quarterbacks where there are or other teams i guess where there are quarterback questions you know like suddenly there's talk about Jared Goff and yeah you know, there's the there, there's the Deshaun Watson issue certainly there's other quarterbacks here and there that that have varying degrees of certainty you know what is the story on Dak Prescott right you know when is that going to happen you know those kinds of things so uh, really, really interesting. And, uh, yeah, I, all I can say is buckle up because it's going to be a really fascinating, uh, winter and spring for the Colts let me know, again.
2: Let me know when we have a quiet off season.
1: Cause I can't think of one.
2: I, you know, we got really close know. in 19, really close. And then it <laughs> ended with the bombshell. So, uh, right. it's been an eventful couple of years. That's for sure. But this is going to be really fascinating because whew, they got to do something. They got to do something.
1: They do. They did. They absolutely do. So hey, that's uh that's the story for now. Um all I can tell you is uh just you know stay tuned to your podcast app because you know we may have to drop another one of these on you, you know, for a couple of days from now. Who knows what'll happen then? So stay tuned. We'll be back from time to time. We'll schedule these uh periodically here in the coming weeks, you know, not As regularly as during the regular season, obviously, but uh, we're not going to be far away. And stay tuned for our coverage because we're going to hear from Jim Irsay, by the way, today. uh, As we're recording this on Wednesday morning, we're supposed to hear from Jim Irsay on Wednesday afternoon. So I'm I'm guessing he'll have something to say. Yes, (laughs) as he always does. So hey, that's it for us for right now. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't subscribed to the Athletic, please do. we don't stop when the season stops. I mean, we've had some, I think, really interesting coverage of everything that's happened so far. So, go to uh, theathletic.com/slash-one-percent-better. O n e, one percent better. Uh, special discount for you there. So, please take advantage of that. So, again, I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is One Percent Better.